1: Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're so glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministry is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God designed you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd.
2: We're going to continue in chapter 5 in the book of Ephesians. And as we go down through the chapter, you will notice that Paul is exhorting us in the way that we should behave as Christians. That Paul wants you more than anything to understand who you are, more than he wants you to understand who you're not. And many times when preachers get hold of these don't-dos, they tend to throw them at you with much heat and bluster, and I don't think that's Father's heart. I know that when I am talking to my children and I'm speaking to them about something that's potentially hurting them in their behavior or could hurt them in their behavior, when I'm warning them, I'm sitting down with them with a heart of love, and I speak to them in gentle tones, because it's my heart that they understand that I don't want them to be hurt. I don't want them to be injured. I want them to know that I love them. And I think many times that when we get into these what not to do's, we read them as though we're preaching fire and brimstone. And then as individuals, we tend to read through them quickly because they carry condemnation often for us. But what I want you to hear is the heart of a father behind it. What I want you to see is is your father pulling up beside of you, taking your hand and saying, Child, please don't. Please don't. This is not about my reputation. This is not about my honor. You cannot injure those. This is about your ability to laugh and love life, to enjoy me, to embrace all that I've given you in my life. You see, I died that you might have life, a life that you can enjoy, a life that, that, that you can embrace the fullness of not a life that all you see is your own failure, your own inability to do, your own excesses, your own desires. That's not at all what I had for you. In the first verse of chapter 5, when we looked at it, Paul talks about what it means to be imitators of God. Well, we talked about what it meant to be imitators of God, and Paul exhorts us to. And in verse 1, he says that we should walk, our walk must look like we are walking in the life of God, that we are imitating who He is by virtue of the life that's in us. And then in verse 2, he tells us what that walk would look like. Looks like love. And what he's talking about is us giving an outward expression of an inward union with Christ. And it's more than trying to act like God, because that's impossible apart from God itself. It's behaving in the truth of your new nature. That's what it is. Behaving in the truth of your new nature. And of course the greatest example we have of that is Jesus. He walked upon this earth and he refused to act independently from his union with the Father. If you read through uh, John, you see that. He makes it clear. The reason I act the way I act. The reason I speak the way I speak. The reason I do what I do is that I refuse to act independently of the Father. Everything that I do has come from him. And that's what it means to imitate God. It means to refuse to act independently of your union with Christ. Now look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. And I'll read out the Amplified, but I want you to see this. It says, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with Him. Draw your strength from Him, that strength which His boundless might provides. And as we progress, we're going to talk about some things that you are to avoid and some things to be put away, which in today's society range from difficult to nearly impossible. But how are we going to live that out? How are we going to do what what Paul is telling us we need to do? How are we going to live the way Paul is telling us we need to live? Well, the answer is in that. Look at the verse I just read. Be empowered through your union. How did Jesus do it? He was tempted in all things, but he was empowered by his union with the Father. So how will you do it? Not by your own strength and determination. Every one of us in this room knows that doesn't work, don't we? But by being empowered through your union with him, drawing upon his strength. You must choose by faith to face life out of your union with Christ. That's how we live it. We live out of relationship to overcome. Not just by virtue of that relationship, but by living out of that relationship. How many of us know that you can have the relationship with Christ and still live in bondage? You know, this is a walk of faith. We have to own it. Now, let's look at this next verse with me. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Now, I love this verse because it addresses exactly what we're talking about. It says, Furthermore, brethren... We beg and admonish you in virtue of our union with the Lord Jesus that you follow the instructions which you learned from us about how you ought to walk so as to please and gratify God as you are doing, as indeed you are doing and that you do so even more and more abundantly, attaining yet greater perfection in living this life. Now this verse is vital to our understanding if we're going to appropriate all the teaching that Paul is going to lay out for us in in chapter 5. So how are we going to follow all of the instruction Paul is going to give us on how to walk? Well, it's very clear. It's out of your union with the Lord Jesus. Look at how Paul says this. He says that you walk so as to please God as indeed you are doing. You see, you're not creating God's pleasure by what you're doing. You are already God's pleasure by virtue of your union with Him. But what he is saying here, he's saying out of your union out of your union with the Lord Jesus, look at look at what he's saying. If they were already pleasing him, then why even bring it up? That would be my question. If they're already doing it, why have why why write this? Because this is an exhortation to walk in it. You are pleasing by virtue of who you are in Christ because Christ has died for you because He has given you a new life in His life. You are absolutely pleasing to Him. We learned this in the first chapter of Ephesians. That which we may or may not have known is that we are in perfect relationship with Him. Nothing is going to change that. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed as a container is sealed against corruption. Our union with Him is incorruptible. We are kept by Him. This is not going to change, okay? But He is saying by virtue of our union with Him, walk as pleasing to God. Out of that union, walk as pleasing to God. Out of that perfection, walk as pleasing to God. Live out of the truth. Live out of it and through the life of Christ within you. So, here's the motto for reading the letter of Ephesians as we get into chapter 5 and 6. Here's the motto. When Paul says walk in it, don't hear law, hear the love of God. When Paul says, don't, don't hear law, hear the love of God. It is God's way of saying, look, if you want this life to be real to you, if you want it affirmed in your spirit, if you want to realize the truth of it, if you want to experientially enter into it, walk in it. Walk in it. Own it. It's the truth. And it goes further than that. Paul says, walk in it. Don't hear law, hear the love of God. He says, enjoy it. It's for the truth. Validate it by faith in your life. God wrote this to you. Start enjoying your union. Put away the distractions and living to the appetites of the flesh which don't satisfy. Live out of the truth. You know, you have yet to experience the fullness of the abundance. Paul says, there's more... Look at that verse. He says, there's more... And more. You don't see any mention of heaven. In fact, if you look at the verse there, what does it say? Attaining yet greater perfection when? In living what? This life. Well, what are you talking about, Paul? I'm not perfect. Your relationship with Him is perfect. Your union with Him is perfect. Your relationship to Him is perfect. Perfect. Your behavior is not yet perfect. But as you walk with Him and live out of the union that you have with Him, as Jesus expresses His life through you in daily living, as you begin to feed out of the obedience of your life, as you begin to grow and be nurtured and mature out of the obedience of your life, you grow more and more into the perfection of his life you see that you grow you grow look at the end of the verse greater perfection in this life not in heaven so many christians miss what the father's trying to teach us it's not he's not trying to teach us to cope or just teaching us how to survive with minimal damage he is showing us how to live with freedom, confidence, hope, and victory. But most of all, we don't have to wait for, for heaven to experience the greatest gift he's given us. And that's our relationship with Christ. Do you see that as being your greatest gift? Is the relationship with Christ really your greatest gift and your greatest resource? Do you believe that down to your toes? Then live in it by faith. Walk as though He were with you. Speak to Him as though He is within you. Live with Him as though He loves you. Express your life as though He is expressing His life through you. Then all of these things in chapter 5 and 6 make sense. Otherwise, they're just telling you to do stuff or not to do stuff that you don't know how to stop. Live out of the truth. Okay, so now we know who we are, and we, we know we're in Christ, and we know this is lived out through His union. So let's look at the practical instruction for living. And in order to maintain context, I'll go ahead and read the first two verses that we've already gone through, the first part of chapter 5. It says, therefore, be imitators of God, copy him and follow his example as well beloved children, imitate their Father, and walk in esteeming and delighting in one another, as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a slain offering and sacrifice to God for you, so that it became a sweet fragrance. But immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living, or greediness must not even be named among you, as is fitting and proper among saints, God's consecrated people. And if I were to rephrase this, I would just say, as well-beloved children of God, who are to be little revealers of God himself, we should, by virtue of our relationship, be walking in love, which is his character. That's the truth. But Paul says if you're walking in his love among the brethren, these things should not even be named or attributed to your behavior or your expression. And what are these things? Immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity? Now, I'm not going to put those things under the microscope, which is usually done from the pulpit. I think if there's any failing in preaching, it's that we tend to put a spotlight on sin and a pinlight on Jesus. And we end up creating the issues in people's head or reviving the issues in people's heads. What we need to be focusing on is Jesus. And if we had our eyes upon Him and our focus upon Him, these issues would not be the issues they are in most lives. So we're not going to go there, we're going to talk about why we don't do it, but we're not going to live in it, and I'm not going to recreate it for you, okay? I doubt there are very many of you who are not aware what these words mean. We live in a world that uses its God-given creativity to expose us to every form of wickedness and evil. I mean, we can't escape it, it's, it's in, on the internet, it's uh, on television, it's in the radio, it's in the lyrics of the song, it's on billboards, it's in the conversations around us, it's constantly upon us. This has been done slowly through the years to the point many of us would, uh, who have begun to get used to it would kind of be like Lot. If God were to do some kind of miraculous intervention, we would wonder what all the fuss was about. But the truth of the matter is that we have become, we've become slowly callous to a lot of it. Have you ever heard the illustration on how to boil a frog? That if you just throw a frog into a pot of hot water, he'll jump right out. Now how, do you, how do you boil a frog? You just turn the heat up just very, very, very slowly. Or the frog doesn't even notice it. And then eventually he's cooked. Not that that would be very appetizing. But that's what society is doing. This is how these things creep into our lives. In seemingly small, insignificant increments, society is turning up the heat. So that the things that would not even have been mentioned in polite company a few years ago are now the subject of jokes, t-shirts, proper stickers, emails. We're inundated with it. When the world and the flesh is our focus, we become insensitive and blind to its corruption. And here's the issue, guys. The corruption is, is becoming more and more prevalent. So here's what happens. Before, we could take our eyes off Jesus. And to some degree, we could see the morality of man and the standards of society would support us. And we could walk in that with feeling good about ourselves as Christians. But now you take your eyes off Jesus and there's all manner of corruption waiting to seduce your eyes and invade your thinking. You have no place to look. You need, Christian, to make sure that you understand that there's only one place for you to focus your attention, not upon yourselves, not upon your own righteousness, not upon anything in this world, but upon Jesus. There's no room for anything else. We look at what the world puts forth as entertainment and say, Oh, well, it's a small compromise. You know, I've been there. I'm a parent. You know, you see things you want to watch. Or you hear things you want to listen to. Oh, well, just a small compromise here. A small compromise there. Let me tell you something, particularly for you parents, understand this. A small compromise for you today becomes a lifestyle for your children tomorrow. Just a small compromise here, a small compromise there. Paul says don't live that way. It's a lie. Don't live a lie. The sins we're talking about are really just seeking to gratify the need for intimacy with God by flirting with or engaging in an intimacy with something else or someone else. And you understand that lust is a distortion of love. In order to lust, you must see people as objects for selfish gratification. You can't see them as human anymore. They're all about you and your need these sins are debilitating for the Christian because they're making a commitment of the body and the soul to self-gratification in a way that establishes mental and physical patterns that will distort your ability to live life and to love that will not easily be done away with that will literally affect how you see your relationships from the day you begin to the day you end I'm not saying this is beyond the the grace of God. God's done it in my life. I'm saying that if I were to speak to my children, I would say, please don't pick that baggage up. Please don't scar your lives that way. God's big enough to handle it, but you hurt yourselves. And I don't want to watch you hurt. And not only that, you hurt other people. It's more than just you involved We start believing, now listen to this, we start believing that self-gratification is the purpose of all relationships and begin to leave a trail of wounded people behind us. We believe that every relationship is about self-gratification and that's how bitterness starts and anger. That's how jealousies and all of these things begin to creep into our lives because it's all about us. Every relationship is about us in some way. Listen, people, as children of God, you don't have a right to claim any relationship for yourself. It's all about Him. Even my precious children, my own flesh and blood, it's all about Him. My lovely wife, it's all about Him. You know, we sing in that song, Oh, Lord, I'm sorry for the thing that I have made it. Well, when we grab hold of something, we make a thing out of it. For God... It's a person. I cannot love my children apart from Him. I cannot love my wife apart from Him. If I do, it's all about self-gratification. Self-centered living is a self-imposed judgment that will literally destroy your life. And this is so prevalent in our society and the fruit of it is divorce, abortion, pornography, homosexuality, and any other wickedness you can name. They're all fruit of self-indulgence Self-centeredness This is the only way the godless can live Because they don't have any other option But to live to man that you have It's not life for you It's death There's only one way you can live life And it's through him And it's by him Paul says that it should not even be named among you along with rich and wasteful living or greediness. This is the it's all about me living we wink and joke about, but godless living is crippling many of God's children because they have rejected their only hope for experiencing life. The opposite of what Paul talks about in verse 2 where he says that we have a life that is self-sacrificing, that Jesus gave himself up for us, that we might have life, that he gave it up to up for us, that we might be a pleasing aroma for God. The opposite of that is in verse 3, living for self-gratification and becoming like rotting flesh, putrid. In fact, the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word Pornography can be attributed to that which is decomposing and rotten. Don't give any cause for any of these things to be mentioned even in your presence. Now look as Paul finishes this verse. He takes you back to who you are because he wants you to get it. He says, don't live this way. It doesn't suit you. It's not who you are. Why should it not be named among you? It's not fitting and proper among saints. Who are you? Saints. God's consecrated people. This is who you are. It's not fitting. It doesn't fit you as a saint of God. You can try to wear it, but it won't fit. It won't fit the way it fits the godless. It's true to their nature, but it's not true to yours. It won't fit you. You can try to wear it. You can try to take it on. Many Christians trudge through life with it draped over their shoulders, always taking into themselves the putrid smell of death, always corrupting the things about them, always seeing life from a self-centered perspective that says life is is all about me. But I'm not getting all that I want. And you can try to wear that, and you can walk forward in it. But I'm going to tell you something. It takes more energy and more life out of you for you to live a godless life than it does a godless man to live it because you're walking contrary to who you are. That's what you're doing when you live that way. Don't even allow it to be mentioned among you. It's not proper. It's not your nature. It's not who you are. Ephesians 4.18 Look at that verse. We talk about the godless... What's the truth of the godless? Ephesians 4.18 tells you the truth of the godless. Their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it. This is because of their ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception, the willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to the hardness of heart, to the insensitiveness of their moral nature. This is not who you are. You are a saint. You should be living out of the union you have with Christ. If you're living out of that union, you won't behave this way.
1: Thank you for joining us today for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life, moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. To get to know us better, visit us on the web at hislifefellowship.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If this message has blessed you, you can help support this program with your gift to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 781-529, San Antonio, Texas, 78278. And now, before we go, our prayer for you this coming week is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you and that you would remember that wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you.